Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's Geraldine Jameson interview. And I'm delighted to be joined by one half, so to speak, of the hosts of the popular BBC Two's television show, The Hairy Biker's Cookbook. David Myers was born and bred in Barrow and Furness, worked as a furnaceman in a steels work to finance his master's degree in fine arts, before joining the BBC as a makeup artist specialising in prosthetics. Dave has worked on many feature films and television series, including The Life and Loves of a She-Devil and the BBC One hit Spooks. His versatile career skills have taken him from Hollywood to the African deserts. Well, a very warm welcome indeed to the programme, Dave. Thanks, Geraldine. Thank you for having me. Love to have you on board. Now, um, where does the motorbike fit into all this? How did the hairy biker's duo actually come into being? Well, Si and I have always been sort of mad motorcyclists, and um, that's how we actually met. It was when Si sold me a really terrible motorbike. It was a Honda CB750 that promptly blew up on me. And at that time, I lived up in the Highlands, so I kind of, come on, give me money back. And he came up with about four other people, stayed for a week, just gave me half the money back for the bike, and um, we started cooking. But I've been a biker all my life. You know, my dad was one of those people, never passed a car test. You know, when you bought a license and he thought, you know, you didn't have to pass a test. And he thought, I'll never afford a car, so I'll just make do with the bikes. So I grew up with bikes, love them. Well, I mean, you certainly appear to be mates, you know, on, on the programme. So it's nice to know that you, you really were, that it wasn't just the pilot uh, programme oh, no. that sort of flung the two of you together. But, but um, I mean, there you are, this, this matey chemistry as you ride around the world in search of local <laughs> delicacies that you can rustle up in some tin cans over a candle on a plank of wood, literally. Well, yeah, it's not a bad life, Geraldine. And the thing is, you know, there's, there's a great chef um, called Tony Laban in, in Newcastle. He's a Michelin star chef. And he always says that 96% of good cooking is good shopping. So really, if you buy good stuff mm. and we kind of set ourselves, we'll go the best places in the world, the cooking side, you need to do very little. Yeah. And, you know, we are good mates. We've known each other for years and I've seen size kids grow up. I've been Uncle Dave, you know, and um, and size wife's tolerated. Well, I'm, I was divorced, so it was it was easy for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and size wife's been very tolerant, really, on our trips. Because we did this before the, before the telly co- cottoned on, you know. Mm-hmm. So why did you think that the telly cottoned on to the two of you? Was it sort of following perhaps the two fat ladies? No, absolutely not, no. Because the I BBC mean, have done both, haven't they? Yes, but you see, it, I don't know, the programme's nothing like that. And I, at the start, there was very lazy journalism. They saw those two blokes who were a bit porky, and we had a motorbike, so therefore, oh, it's like that. But it, it kind of isn't at all. I mean, the motorbike side of it, the, the journey of a thousand miles, it's it's integral to the... It, it's a trip. It's a road thing. Um, and the food and the humour. So uh, I, I say the press got off that after the first series, once they saw it. And he, indeed, there was a couple of journalists that said that. And after a while, I said, oh, well, no, I haven't actually seen the programme. I thought, oh, well... What are you talking about then? Yeah, colleagues. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, we're good mates. Um, but but it's a mixture of cookery and and travelogues, as you say, really using a you know a similar format and style to the previous to that previously associated with Keith Floyd, and in particular that his habit of frequently referring to the cameraman and and the rest of the crew. Yes, yeah. You do that, don't you? Well, we do because we've been on. Uh, we've had the same crew. It's about sort of seven or eight of us, and. Um, We've been around the world together, and it's it's funny. It's a funny kind of intimate setup. Um, yeah, we both love Keith Floyd unashamedly. He's a hero, and um, it's one of those things. The program came together. 
you know, we both worked in television as crew, so we, we knew the business a little bit, which, which, but getting the commission didn't do us any favours. But what it means is that we plan the programme, Si and I go out, I mean, even to the extent of doing the shopping, um, you know, booking the crew hotels, and that side of it was, was very useful. Um, but we, we, we thought... Well, you were really two new, genuine enthusiasts, and that's what yeah. the television camera and the BBC yeah. in particular really love. Yeah, well, the BBC were quite brave with us because we never put forward a, a proposal or a treatment. We kind of got on with it, and, and um, I, I don't. It wouldn't happen now. Even to, just only three years ago, now it wouldn't happen. But we had two very good producers who were producing as John Stroud, and um, he, he was like producing. Spit an image when he was 23 and does my heroes and minders. On the comedy side, John's really, really strong. On the other side, we have Vikram Jayanti, a documentary maker. And Vikram got the, the Oscar for When They Were Kings, thing about Muhammad Ali. So they went to the BBC and it was a very slow, ponderous process. We got like £1,400 to shoot a, a pilot, which kind of is just, it wasn't for transmission. And um, it was it was just a screen test, really. But try, we were like we were like Bonnie Langford jumping up and down. You know, <laughs> we could do this. You know, for forty. And then, then we got one fully funded program, and it's all been steps like that because you haven't been able to pin us down because we really haven't known what we're going to do until we get there, uh, which is very different. Yeah. But I mean, um, you. I think what comes across, of course, is that the two of you obviously love your grub as well. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I think food's the currency that underlies the programme. And, and when we set out to do this, we thought about trying to produce a programme that maybe we would produce but not present. Then we thought, it's that thing about you do best what you know, what you know. We both love food. We've both been great cooks. We both love bikes. We love travelling. And um, how could you possibly make a living out of that? And that's, that's what we honestly set out to do. And touch wood for three years, we've got away with it. <laughs> Your main home is in Morecambe Bay on a little island called yeah, Roa. Roa Island, yeah, yeah, just off Barrowing Furnace. And that must be very good, uh, I mean, um, for fishing and all that sort of thing. It's great, not as good as the Isle of Man, though. Um, it's, it's lovely. It's, I used to fish there when I was a boy. The fish have gone now. Yeah. And um, I was born and brought up in Barrow. And about five years ago, um, I lived in the Highlands for many years in Aberdeenshire. I wanted to move back down south. And I couldn't think of where to live. I got divorced, and it was, uh, and somebody was a house for sale on Raw Island. It was one of those things when I was a kid and I used to fish there. I thought, wouldn't it be great to live here? And it, you know, that's where that's where I live now, and it is it's great. So I wondered, perhaps maybe it was a you know a, a granny's influence or something. You watched her cooking, you know, and no, no, with, with the food. My um, so my mum had MS. She she was disabled, and so my dad finished work early. He, so when he's like early sixties. He kind of had to work after years in, in uh, had to cook after years in industry. We had about three years living on smash, tin peas, and mince. And uh, I remember coming home from school once, and he'd been out with a long line in Morecambe Bay. He caught a long line of place, fresh place. He was sitting there. He had the radiation cookbook out, one that had come free with a cooker in the nineteen fifties, and it was a recipe for sole Veronique, you know, with the grapes and the white wine. So he got the place instead of the sole, and he was peeling these grapes one by one, and it was oh, he was morning away, and no wine. So I had a bit of sherry from Christmas. So I put a bit of sherry in, and it was really, really, really good. And then you think about it, fresh fish, and it was a bit of love in it, and um, <laughs> and so we actually started to cook with my dad. Then I went to art school. I just I just buried myself in it, especially with like the Indian markets. You're down in South Hall and Peckham. 
um, and Chinatown. You could buy everything really cheaply, really good, and just just learnt a lot. I mean, you've done some things in your life, Dave. I must say, you lived for a while in a converted and mainly recycled London container. Oh yeah, it was good, cheap accommodation. No, it's very nice. It's, it it won loads of prizes. It contained a city in Docklands, and um, it's it was an apartment made from three ship, shipping containers welded together. It was lined with plasterboard on the inside, so it was once you're in, it was like a proper apartment. But I had a balcony overlooking the River Thames, a proper bath and toilet and flushing and everything, and uh, it was about a hundred quid a week. And um, you know, I said, you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, somebody said he was living in a tin can, <laughs> and it was like, like self-contained living. Yeah. You know, we had we had a lift to get up to the third floor, and the lift was the lift shaft was built out of three containers put on end. And it was great. I've still got some friends that live in them. And it certainly saved you a bit of rent. I mean, oh, it was brilliant. What you would have paid in Canary Wharf is somewhat different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but I gave it up this year because I, I, literally I was never there. You know, I've been around the world yeah. twice now. And so and when I came back, I came back to Raw Island. Well, let's concentrate a wee bit on your some of it. Pick out some of the highlights for us of your trip these two round-the-world oh, trips. As this, I said at the top of the programme, you've literally gone from one end to, to the other. Yeah, there's been some wonderful moments, Geraldine. Um, I mean, Namibia was the first trip, and it's the, 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 the most least populated country on Earth. And we rode for 2,000 kilometres across the desert on sand, and it was a bit of an annoying for the BBC because they said, make sure you've got plenty of interaction with the locals. And we thought about three days at the end of the film, we haven't met any... Um, but that, that was wonderful. And I'm saying, like, for two fellas having an adventure. But in the last series, the place that really stands out for me was Argentina. I had no preconceptions. Um, well, the beef. I mean, the beef must have been good beef's there. Beef's amazing. But the fishes as well, you see. If you think, you've got that massive South Atlantic coastline. So the sea bass, the spider crabs, mm-hmm. it's so unpolluted. And, of course, down south with the, with the Welsh influence, they've got great lamb. Yeah. But the people, especially Buenos, in Argentina, we're talking yeah, about, yeah, fantastic. I mean, I believe you actually say that that in a silver service restaurant there, yeah. the meat was so tender it was cut at the table with a spoon. Yeah, it was a wonderful restaurant, and it was cost about four pounds. They call it the Cotilla de Lomo, which is the tail end of fillet, you know, the pointy end. That comes to the table, and they just cut it with a spoon. But it tastes really beefy because the the beef's reared on the pampas, and Argentina has got the thickest layer of topsoil in the world so it's a geeky fact so it stands to reason that with all that soil the grass on the pampas is really rich they've got the space so all the beef is free range never travels far from where it's reared to slaughter and um i say it's great but the people you know in buenos aires the the tango it's kind of really sassy and cultured but then you go down to patagonia and it's just it is a natural paradise just go there. It's wonderful before it gets changed. Um, and, of course, you're tasting all the newest of wines en route as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, um, um, the, the the red wine, the Malbec grape, the, the Argentinian red Malbec, it's better than the French Malbec wine. It's so good. And, of course, with beef, it's fantastic. But actually, I'm a great white wine drinker. And the white Chardonnay... Which is unusual for, for men, really. Yeah, I know. I'm, I just, I'm just really pathetic, but I'm allergic to it. It makes it <laughs> brings me out in hives. But um, the white wine, you know, they've, they've the Chardonnay grapes there. And it's it's as good as a lot of the French bur- white Burgundies. 
But, um, oh, no, you can have a... But in your books, you, you talk a lot, you know, you seem to go to posh restaurants. I thought to myself, my goodness, are all these frightfully first-class posh top restaurants, you know, with a price range to match? And yet, on the other hand, uh, you seem to me to be the sort that want to put it across very simply to people, oh, well, that you don't have to spend a whole lot of money necessarily. No, we, we, we do both. I mean, we've been very lucky because some of the, the chefs at these top restaurants, I mean, the one, one in particular in Buenos Aires, Rodrigo Ramirez, um, he was like kind of Argentina's Gordon Ramsay. And you learn a lot very quickly off people like that. Um, same, same in Hanoi, we visited Didier Kolu, who's got like the, the only Vietnamese kind of starred restaurant and um, you learn an awful lot but equally people's grannies I mean in Romania we go into villages on the motorbikes and all the grannies they all love motorbikes all the husbands had them during the war we'd run them up the street on our bikes little run around these little Romanian ladies next to you you're in the house and the home cooking in Romania was absolutely stunning no we've done a, a pretty fair cross-section really right. um, but you can't ignore I mean you're not, you're not too worried I don't think about whether it's going to put uh, lashings of pounds on us either I, I mean if, if we take the uh, pecorino <coughs> cheese from Pisa in, in, in Italy I mean at the end of it you said you'd probably knock 10 years off your life but it tastes fantastic oh in, in Pisa yes oh that was, that was yeah that was that was my top 10 places around the world to eat oh yeah I remember doing that no it's true I was there this summer it's a young pecorino. So you know, like pecorino cheese, when it's old, it's a bit like parmesan. You know, Quite hard. Yeah. Young pecorino isn't. Oh, yum, yum. But this place, you have a piece, and it looks like a, a large flat frisbee on a plate. It's melted. Olive oil, white truffle, and you tuck into it like this truffly, oily fondue. By Crikey, it's lovely. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, now and again, it's fine. But then the rest of the time, like here, you know, just get some... I, I, I eat loads of seafood, loads of fish. Well, a reminder, you're listening to the Geraldine Jameson interview and joining me today is one half of the Hairy Bikers, Dave Myers. Well, you're no stranger to the Isle of Man. No, I love it. Yeah. You, you had a bit of an accident last year. Oh, you're all right yeah, since... Yeah, I'm fine. What happened to you exactly? Um, I'd been for a... It was during the TT. It was Mad Sunday... Uh, I'd had a fine old time the night before at the Villa Marina. You know, they had the auction. Uh, they have an auction and a chat show with the riders. Wonderful night. Mad Sunday. Been around the course. Had a lovely time. I went and had uh, a kipper, kipper bap and a crab bap at Peel. You know, the lovely sheds there. I was working my way back to the course. I went round Devil's Elbow and I was kind of in the middle of the road and so was a lorry. And I, I clipped the lorry and wrote the bike off. I broke my wrist in two places. Me right shoulder, I lost quite a lot of blood. Um, but it was, you know, I was well looked after. It was you were airlifted to Noble's Hospital. I know, that was a bit overkill. But, um, <laughs> I tell you what, though, what was amazing, honestly, between two minutes after coming off the bike, the paramedics were there and about... You know, four or five minutes after that, the helicopter's in the field. And then I was in Nobles, and they were brilliant. You know, there were 17 of us got carted in that day. And uh, it was, you know, it, nobody was terribly, terribly seriously hurt. So the atmosphere amongst the staff was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, no, I was very well looked after. Mm. We're a lot more careful now. Had you ever heard of our Manx Queenies before your first visit here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to come over with my dad when I was a kid, um... So we used to do that, that trip. The round table used to have a boat every year from Barrow. We used to come on daily day trips. Right. And we'd get our kippers and our queenies and take yeah. them back. Then when my dad retired, when I was eight, 
um, with his lumper from the paper mill, you know, his lump sum. Uh, we had a week at the Metropole on the Isle of Man. This was like our proper first big holiday. Oh, yes. And uh, so I had a good place in my heart. And then, yeah. you know, with my queenies, I used to get them in Scotland, but they're not like the Manx queenies. They're not small and sweet. Um, Do you think we're, we're doing enough to promote our culinary delights here? I think so. Well, I think it's getting there because it's deserved. You know, it deserves it. The food deserves it. You know, like, like yesterday I was at the... Um, the taste, the food festival, the restaurateurs organised, and the you know Paddy's Market, the seafood. Mm-hmm. I was on their stand cooking queenies, and I've just come back from Singapore, so everything I've got. I love Oriental cookery, so I was using Manx. And Manx queenies could work really well with Oriental food, because they've got more taste than the king scallops. Oh. So if you take those recipes, use queenies, say with lots of ginger, lemongrass, they're absolutely wonderful. I made a pad thai. But the, the creamery, you know, the cheesemakers on the Isle of Man are superb. Um, you know, some of the, the fine eating you have here, with, you know, the Italian restaurants, um, the seafood restaurants are perfect. I mean, the mushroom grower that you have here, it's, it's such good food. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people working very hard. This is, yeah. I mean, I, I, as, as an off-islander, I'm, I'm learning more and more. There are a lot of people who are working to make the, make the Manx name a real quality label. You know, um, the Lockton lamb, which you know you're familiar with. Exactly. It's, 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 it's superb foodstuffs. It's, it's funny, it's like down in Borough Market in London, you know, it's the big foodie market that Jamie Oliver always features and it's always on telly. It's like 17 of the stalls are Cumbrian. And people are taking, and Cumbrian food's great. I mean, let's face it, we're all kind of like the similar kind of geography. And um, you're also thinking like a Manx food stall at Borough Market in London would do so well. I always think ours are so organic. That's one of the blessings. Yeah, yes, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like the scallops, you know, t- talking to Tim at, at Paddy's Market, who, who's, who's running them. It's sustainable. It's managed. You know, they the dredge them for the scallops, but they do one area at a time. It's rested. It comes back. And I still think the, the Manx people are thinking about that, the sustainability of the island. Mm. And it's funny, when I mentioned the Borough Market thing to them, why don't you do a stall? I said, well, actually... We actually can sell everything we produce, so therefore it's not an issue actually selling it. It's just working out the ways of keeping the quality up and the cost of kippers. Mind you, Dave, I must leave out here because I know it's it's an interest at your heart, really, about the Isle of Man, and not just from the food point of view, but you support very well indeed the Joey Dunlop Foundation. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's a hero of mine, and um, even more so. I met John Harris. John Harris's gentleman, he was Joey's sponsor and a friend of Joey's. And, um, he, he, you know, he's still a motorcycle dealer. And John, very kindly, at Bewley a few months ago, let me ride one of Joey's bikes on the racetrack there. And that was such a moment for me. And, you know, Si and I have got some time. Yes, we support the foundation very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the dinner here. And Joey was a man who loved children and he got his MB and his OBE yeah. for services to kids really not motorcycling <laughs> ironically yes. and um, you know th- and the, the home that's being built on the island it's for bikers some of the time yeah. but you know for 48 weeks of the year or 50 weeks of the year it's for children to give kids a holiday and that's like the memory of Joy Dunlop and it's going to be wonderful when it's built you know it's purpose built and the spirit of that, yeah. and Linda, his wife's very much involved in it. A lot of the, the old racers, his brothers, and indeed the riders. You know, the riders are now, you know, they're, they're doing the yeah. best. It's going to be great. Yeah. He'll never be forgotten. Oh, no. Listen, um, it can't all be 
going right all the time. Have you had disasters or, or, or encountered a disaster somewhere around the world? Oh, yeah. From a culinary a, point of view. Um, culinary, well, yes. I mean, they, they, the BBC, because we do it... We only have one go at it, so sometimes it doesn't work too great. Uh, I mean, the time when we, the show we did about the Isle of Man, we set off in our catamaran, my catamaran from Roe Island, and we hit Force 5, Force, force 5 to 8, and so we had to go into Fleetwood. But before that, we did a cookery item, and I was cooking a crab souffle. I mean, I like crabs, I think it's tastier than lobsters, and it's great in a souffle with a bit of Tabasco and mustard and some cheese. It really works. However, you try making a souffle on a boat. <laughs> Every time the boat bottomed out, the souffle's collapsed. That, and I couldn't look, and it came out. And they were, it was like flat eggy custards, really. But it tasted all right. But it didn't look great. And then the problem we always have on the on the road is if you do get hurt. And touch wood, I've been all right. Uh, but size hurt himself twice. First time was in Vietnam, he broke his leg, and that was halfway through the shoot. So. We had to abandon the motorbikes and we finished, we actually finished the programme in a Vietnamese invalid carriage with me driving, <laughs> with sign like a dog cart on the back. And we actually got up to China like that. It was, just, it was just so full of morphine. I mean, like trying to get him to do a cookery item, which would kind of be quite prescriptive. After all, we've got a cookbook we're trying to sell as well. Mm. And he hadn't a clue what was going on. It was like caring the community. I had to put the seed to his hands <laughs> and he's stirring stuff. And then in Morocco again, um, psych him off his bike and the bike stayed in gear and turned on his knee and tore the ligaments in his knee. Um, if that wasn't bad enough, the, the next day he, he got food poisoning. So we ever seen a ra- rather large Geordie with his leathers on, his knee in a splint, mm. trying to rush to the loo. That was that was that was entertaining. For, for us simple folks listening to you now, you know I'm not a wonderful cook. I just sort of get by. I think if, if it's if it's good food, just keep it simple. Like the food in Namibia, it was largely meat and game. That was just superb. Just cook it simply. But in southern India, the vegetarian food that was amazing. Some of the best food. And I know the last book we did, we, we took great care to make the recipes accessible. And if you do follow the recipes, you see, because we're not chefs. So our recipes, they'll either come from chefs at good restaurants who would be very generous, or people's grannies, or what we've learned, what we've developed ourselves. But you can guarantee they work. And, um, and the South, well, for me, the favourite ones are the South Indian recipes that, that we got in the, in the last one. We... We were in Chennai, you know, the, the new Madras, and um, we, we were given a houseboy, which, which to us we thought, no, we can't, that's, that's all wrong, you know, it's wrong. There was a gent there, and he wasn't, he was in his mid-40s, a chap called Andrew, who used to be a chef, and we thought, oh, hey. And uh, <laughs> at first he, we said, no, 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 you know, we'll just leave us to get on, Andrew, it's fine. But then he'd come over and say, well, you're not doing it right. And we said, oh, all right, then you do it. He said, well, I do it like this for my kids. Make stuffed paratas, but they're like thick Eccles cakes with potato curry. They are so good. And we fair dues to us. The recipes in the book, we have credited Andrew. We did pay him. Um, <laughs> but th- they're authentic and they work, you know. They're, they're what he cooked for his kids, and that's good enough for so me, So how really. do you look on yourself, then? Are you more a chef than, than a biker? I'm pretty lucky at the minute. <laughs> um, I don't know, really. I think so, so we do what we do. You know, the Hairy Bikers is the Hairy Bikers. Um, and some programmes are more travel-orientated than food-orientated. Um, the film crews must absolutely adore you, that they've chosen to go with you. Um, yeah, we've all done all right, yeah. Um, you know, we have, 
we've known each other for quite a long time now. I mean, well, one of the, the things that... that well, they all get well fed. Well, they don't when we're shooting. That's a myth, because it takes so long to do it. We used to do that when we first started. We used to sit on the cooker out, just make sure we've got enough for eight people. And, and so we'd be cooking for eight. But then, of course, it doesn't work, because you can't... You haven't got the time to do it. So we literally do, we'll get sandwiches out. But at night, we all, we all elect to eat together. You know, nobody's forced to eat together. And so we've had some of the most wonderful communal meals out together. And um, I think that's a great testament to us as a crew. You know, we choose to spend some time in the evenings. What is the very best meal or food you've ever had around the globe? I think it has to be um, in Vietnam, um, in a market... Um, for breakfast, Vietnamese people have um, a soup called pho, and it's spelled P-H-O, pho, but it's, not, it's pronounced pho. It's a beef broth with noodles, and it sounds pretty grim for breakfast, but you'd have that with some kind of iced water. And as you go along, you put the beef in, the raw beef in the broth, and the stock gets stronger, and the lady will put herbs and say, it is so good. Um, I think Vietnamese food generally is, is wonderful. You were very taken with Cape Town, though, weren't you? Yeah, that was I was out there. As, that was when I was working as crew. Yeah, I loved it, and um, yeah, the fish market there. I mean, sushi, I think, is my favourite food. You know, it's, it's, you sound, it always sounds pretentious when people say that, yeah. but I really enjoy it. And but I never, I never get enough really, except at the, the fish market in Cape Town. They have a happy hour. So, you know, everything's going around in its little conveyor belt, but you can eat as much as you want, so you don't feel... You don't like the ones with the coloured plates and they count the plates. Yeah. Mine's always like the Leaning Tower of Pisa and I can be very <laughs> self-conscious. But you must be, be doing an awful lot of tasting. I don't just mean now your own food, you know, but other people's mm. chefs. Have you ever sort of had an embarrassing situation where where something that somebody has cooked for you has actually made you sick? No, I tell you what's funny, though. When we were in Romania... Um, I don't know if you remember the episode. There was a lady who made us balmosh. She was she was a great old lady. She was a character. She talked. You know how English people have this terrible habit of talking to foreigners. They just talk louder. Except she was Romanian and talked to us in Romanian and talked louder. <laughs> and, and we just laughed. And it was. And she 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 hooked onto that. And it and when it came up on the subtitles, it's really funny. And she was saying to our interpreter, "These poor lads haven't got a word, clue, have they?" And, <laughs> and we were going, "Yes, yes." But she made balmosh, which is a cheesy porridge. Yeah. It's cheese mixed with polenta, you know, with maize meal into this big thick porridge. It's so heavy. Well, we'd had lunch first, so we're tucking away. It was really good, but heavy. And Sai said, to, "You know, she she said to him, you can also have this a dessert in a different way.'" And so Sai latched onto that and he said, oh, that's fine, I'd love to try that. And I thought, oh, I'll just stick to what I've got. So anyway, what she did was she went over, got a bag of granulated sugar, stirred four tablespoons of sugar into his dinner in the balmosh, which of course made it even more heavier and richer. And that, I know he struggled to get that down. <laughs> and goat's penis in Vietnam. Oh, my goodness. That was, um, that, that was rotten, really. <laughs> <laughs> that was a struggle. <laughs> Even the very thought of the title would be enough to sort of... Surely, well, no, uh, it's actually a deer... Ritual. It was deer penis on the menu. And we sort of said to the waiter, you know, how's your deer penis? Because that was very funny, you know, in a schoolboy <laughs> way. And he said, it's too big for two. You're much better off with the goats and it's good value because you get the testicles. So we said, well, how would you recommend it? He said, oh, it's great in a hot pot. <laughs> and um, so this kind of frugal broth with this... Thing in it. I mean, there was no attempt at disguising the fact that it was a, you know, part of a goat. Uh, it just kaplonk. 
And, and it was like, where do you start, really? So, so I started one and I started the other. But no, it was horrible. <laughs> Certainly a talking point over your meal that, that particular evening. Oh, we had some chips on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you got lined up now? What, what, what next? For well, we're, not, we're not sure. Our producing director at the moment, he's, he's poorly, he's not well, John. So we should all wish him a, a very, very speedy recovery. So at the moment, we're kind of... Not resting sounds bad. Well, we, we may be doing a Christmas special, which we'd love to do a one-hour program, and going up to Sweden and Lapland, and uh, we set out from Newcastle. Uh, but the food, but what we want to do is relate the food to something you can cook for Christmas. You're know, like a smorgasbord in Sweden, but we'll do things like gravadlax and maybe a really good prawn cocktail, mm. or you know, or some marinated meats. Then we're kind of joking about eating Rudolph. We do a nice kind of venison or locked and lamb recipe <laughs> for. You know, for New Year, yeah. then cook a Christmas dinner. But we're waiting to hear. Well, you can't eat Rudolph now. No, we'll eat one of his cousins, really. <laughs> um, uh, but but that 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 would be good. And there's there's more sort of. So we're very lucky. How big is your control of the program and the, what you do on it? It has been absolutely well. Yeah, for, we've been able to do what we want. Uh, John and Vikram, we don't have any editorial control. Mm-hmm. We've got a gentleman's agreement that if it's something we didn't like. But there hasn't been, you know. Um, I mean, if we're rubbish, they're not going to put it out, are they, really? <laughs> it's great about documentaries. You shoot so much and it's all on tape. It's on, So you really, out, out of all the hours that you shoot, you have to get something that's transmittable. <laughs> and what about a, a new book? Is that on the cards? like to. I'd like to do a cookbook. But at the moment, we're just waiting to see what happens and John gets better, really. We've got all sorts of ideas. Maybe do some more in this country. Good, that's what we would like to hear. Well, Dave Myers, thank you so very much indeed for being a really appetising guest on the Geraldine Jameson interview this week. And of course, keep spreading the word about our Isle of Man wherever your biking travels take you. Come back soon. Thank you. Promise. Thank you.